Hello, Brendan. Welcome to YesBot. If your name isn't Brendan, then apologies. I took a wild guess. This week's guest is Naomi Peterson. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of YesBot, the podcast about improvisation and robotics, uh, but mostly about improv. Uh, my name's Chris Mead, I am your host. Uh, if you haven't ever heard this podcast before, thanks very much for trying it, first of all. And secondly, I guess I should give you a little bit of backstory, which everyone else is really sick of hearing, but uh, I want to uh, make sure everyone's on the same page. Um, so I was walking in the woods behind my house um, when I came across an abandoned robot. It had been there for quite some time. It was old and rusty and didn't work. Um, but I'm a bit of an amateur roboticist. So I dragged it home and uh, fixed it up and got it working again. And to my delight, I found out that it was a YesBot 5000, this incredible model of robot that is, uh, has been made, manufactured solely uh, to perform the art of improv. Uh, it does this by getting five uh, lines of code, five rules of improv that can be input into it. Uh, and it forms a performance matrix and uses that to improvise. Um, so when I got it working, I thought to myself, well, I know a load of really amazing improvisers. What happens if I get them to program the robot to be the perfect scene partner, the ideal improviser? Uh, so that's what I do every week. I talk to a different improv brain and find out uh, what they would program the, the robot with. Uh, we've had a few technical difficulties with the robot, but, um, you know, it's still a very interesting experiment. Uh, and this week, I am really excited to welcome to the show Naomi Peterson. Hello. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am always amazed that people want to sit and program the robot. But I guess we're we're pushing science forwards in yeah, some ways. Absolutely. So I'm, it's uh, uh, no, I'm very excited. <laughs> um I what I always like to do before we start is mm -hmm. just talk a little bit about how you got into improv mm -hmm. um, what you're doing now, that sort of thing. So how did you find this wonderful art form of ours? Well, I would say I've probably been improvising properly now for about three and a half years. Um, I found it in the winter of um, <laughs> 2013. Mm. Um, I trained as an actor and I had done a little bit at drama school, um, but it was really just kind of dabbling. Sure. Um, so I, I hadn't done long form improv. It was a lot of kind of short form kind of games and stuff. And I don't know if we, you could really call it a proper proper training in improvisation. And then I was really depressed. Uh, one January, I was getting the uh, the post Christmas blues, the, uh, sad. the New Year's. Is it called yeah, sad? I think I think that there's definitely. I went through a phase of about four years in a row, getting very depressed around second or third of January, and just being like so blue and being like, oh my god, I've got the whole year ahead of me. What are we gonna do? I don't get that anymore, weirdly, maybe it's because I found improv. Um, oh, wow. But yeah, no, I, I, I would always get depressed around that time. 
And I was feeling particularly kind of low and like, as an actor, you know, obviously your life isn't planned out and you don't know what's coming. And I was like, there's nothing ahead. Um, I've got to find something to do. So I randomly um, signed up for an improv course, um, which was Monkey Toast. Uh, and I, uh, yeah, I just started on level one and I was pretty much It's a good place hooked. to start. Yeah, yeah. Very good place to start. Very beginning. And yeah, I, I was pretty much hooked uh, straight away and I met all these wonderful people um, and just a whole host of brilliant comedians and writers and other actors and and people who weren't in the performing arts at all. But, uh, you know, we were united by our, our, our love of, uh, of this new thing that we'd all found. So, yeah, I did that for about a year. Uh, I did all the courses and then I went uh, and formed a team um, with some people I met through Monkey Toast and we were called Bleak Mouse and we had a good run um, and then I signed up to the Free Association when they first opened their doors to students because they've only been around about two years so two years ago I uh, did their first class and which we I were, believe we you were, were in yeah, as well we were both yeah. in that class yay the first ever uh, level three of the yeah. Free Association um, which was so much fun and I kind of got hooked on their philosophy and and um, just their way of approaching improv and uh, joined the house team and then got put in a Harold team and then just kind of continued to be obsessed and continued to spend most of my time, my free time doing that. So yeah, now I'm teaching it and performing sort of two or three times a week usually, which is exhausting, but lovely. Yeah, amazing. Uh, to have that kind of opportunity to perform is is so amazing. I think. Yeah, it's fantastic. And and something that wasn't available even a year and a half ago. Yeah. Right. It's it's so new. This stuff we forget that. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, I I think I worked out the other day. I was at the Free Association Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then on Monday I was like, I'm so tired. I wonder why I'm so exhausted this week. I was like, Oh my god, I've just been completely just smothered with improv it's because um, improv energizes you in the moment but that doesn't mean that yeah. your body doesn't need rest at yes, some that's point true. And yeah. to switch your brain off yeah well it sounds like you're so immersed in improv that you are the ideal person to program well, i hope so the robot uh this is the robot here i shall just reveal it <gasps> oh my goodness it's there wearing a go. wig it is wearing a wig wig i'm just trying something just trying to be a little bit more human yeah uh, and i think hair is a human a hu characteristic it definitely is, in yeah. most people. Lots of humans I know mm. have hair. So that's what I'm trying, although it's quite a cheap wig, as you can see. I mean, yeah. you immediately saw that it was a wig. Yeah, so. I'm sorry. It's just the contrast with the sort of metallic body and face. Yeah. Um, if I just turn it over. Fantastic. Uh, ah. Those five slots there are mm -hmm. the five slots which we input the, the commands into. And we, we do that through the medium of N64 cartridges. <laughs> so they're there and you just speak into them and then slot them in. Okay. And that will be the way we program the robot. Do they make a little sound when I slot them in? Or yeah, no they sound? Do. Okay. yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're not whisper quiet. They're okay. proper little chunky like kutum. Okay. Um, and then after that, you mm -hmm. get to name the robot because I always think... This is a new being yes. that you've created through the performance matrix that you've made with your commands. So it should be you that names this new this new entity. Yes, oh, well, that's what an honour. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a, it's a brand new life, mm -hmm. essentially. And then we'll press the button and do a couple of scenes uh, where it will hopefully act exactly in the manner that you have programmed into it. Fantastic. And then we'll stop.
Okay. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so are you ready uh, to start? I am ready. Rule number one. So the first rule, um, it's sort of a variation on a meme that mm. uh, has been doing the rounds a lot recently. Um, but I think it's particularly useful to apply to improv. So the meme that I'm talking about is... Um, so most people don't, yeah, most people don't listen to understand, they listen to respond. Mm -hmm. um, so I've adapted it uh, to apply to improv. And I think it is best served as listen primarily to understand and then to respond. Nice. So that's my command. So should I put it in? Before yeah, I yeah, yeah, okay. put it in. Yeah, great stuff. Great. Um, let's talk that through. I mean, the robot will understand immediately what you mean. Of course. But as this is also a podcast, mm -hmm. um, would it be cool to expand on that a little bit about why you think it's so important? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, to, it's one of the only things written on mountains uh, on the internet <laughs> that I've gone, oh, yeah, that's so true, and especially true of improv. Um, I just think, obviously... Um, you know, it's sort of universally acknowledged in improv communities, whatever your philosophy, that listening is the big number one, big old tick for listening, most important thing you can do. Um, but I do think there are just so many different types of listening. And I think improvisers can get in the habit of, of being on stage, I certainly have, and listening in order to kind of facilitate what you're about to say next. Yeah, um, sure. And in order to make, to kind of filter what the other person said through your own plans for the scene. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just really useful to sit back and, and remember to actively listen and to listen, first of all, to understand um, exactly what the other person has said. So to really, really um, be with your partner in that moment and listen to every little detail before you then respond to the exact thing they've said. Because it's so easy to miss and to kind of generalise and to block out and to ignore and to have a feeling of where you think the scene's going to go and then push forward with that without actually really listening to each other. I love this idea. You said um, the phrase active listening. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the heart of it for me. You know, I'm actually here with you in the moment in the scene. Mm -hmm. And what I'm going to do next is completely contingent on what you say, mm -hmm. because that's what improv does better than anything right yeah scripted whatever you do i'm going to say my next scripted line more or less probably yeah. but with improv we're in this exciting moment of potentiality that's not a word potentiality <laughs> uh but that moment where what you do is going to affect what i do next mm -hmm. and that's so exciting and it's so exciting for an audience to be watching that too mm -hmm. you know this is not there is no rails for this scene to run on it could go anywhere yeah and i, I think that's why listening is so is such a crucial skill. Yeah, I think so too. And I think if you're not actively listening, then, I mean, you're not really doing your scene partner or the audience the service, you know, that you're doing them a bit of mm -hmm. a disservice because they probably the audience will be listening very hard and they'll probably pick up stuff uh, that you won't pick up. So you need to be at least as, uh, as sharp as the audience, um, if not, you know, obviously more so hopefully um but yeah i think it's very important and it's so easy to forget as well when you study and play with so many people and learn so many different techniques and come in with premise which uh, is which the fa kind of uh, teaches a lot about premise so mm -hmm. yeah it's very easy to forget that um but it just makes such a difference it's really interesting holding that balance mm -hmm. between having come in with something that you've pulled from a, a monologue or something and an idea mm -hmm. and then being open to change in the scene yeah absolutely um and 
when you get that right, it's magical, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. incredible to see the interplay of those two things, of the spontaneous and the, I don't know, slightly more considered, maybe, that Premise sort of brings up in an improviser. Yeah, I think it's, I think um, Premise, coming in with the Premise is such a huge challenge because to do it well and to do it right, because you sort of have to be working on two different planes. You have to be maintaining that, that, presence and being in the moment but you have to also kind of at the back of your mind be formulating these thoughts and these ideas and following this pattern um so I think it's just kind of like merging these two very different disciplines and getting them exactly bang on together which is very difficult um and obviously I think people gravitate towards one or the other um so yeah I enjoy premise when it's obviously more dependent on exact what the other person says it can then be kind of a a little bit more flexible depending on where the scene should be going rather than where in your head you want the scene to go yeah and I guess the best players end up being able to do both but I think Mm -hmm. you're right that we we are all naturally better at one or the other yeah and then we have to kind of put in the hard work yeah I'm sure there's some brilliant people out there that can do both immediately yeah well I haven't seen many but (laughs) (laughs) yeah you definitely gravitate towards towards one or the other I think Rule number two. Okay, um, rule two, uh, I just nicked straight out of uh, Will Hines' book uh, that I read recently, um, which is Choose to Know, Choose to Care, Choose to Say. Um, So I guess that's kind of three rules in one, but I don't mind. Uh, So I'm just going to pop that in the robot. It's making a really good sound. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I read uh, Will Hines' book, How to Be the Greatest Improviser on Earth, is it? Um, yeah and I just I I think it's brilliant Um, and it's so easy to forget again um, to know and to to really invest in what you're doing um, and to care about you know your character so um, I've seen so many amazing improvisers do scenes and and I've not I've I've been unable to kind of work out what's going wrong because on paper I'm like oh this is really good but there's something about it that's and you're just like oh it's because you're being flippant yeah sure and flippancy just kills scenes completely dead and it's just the difference between actually caring about about who you are and and choosing to know your character choosing to know information um, and choosing to say stuff as well rather than being unsure and uncertain so yeah I think it's incredibly important and I think that the, the most important one of those three for me is choose to care because I just think as long as you care about what's going on, um, your scene will be uh, in, will be interesting and enthralling to the audience. And it's the scary choice as well, isn't yeah. it, to care? Because, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of improvisers, I think, I mean, this is not true of you because you came from an acting background, but a lot of improvisers don't think of themselves as actors mm-hmm. first and foremost. They came to improv because it's, anti-scripted drama in a lot of ways they're comedians or they're or they just love it you know yeah um and choosing to care doesn't mean like incredibly vulnerable yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah i think you often see with comedians um this you know real wit and uh this verbal skill um and the ability to kind of uh to make to always make the room laugh but it's not consistent if you don't back it up with really investing in what you're doing so sometimes when you see comedians first go to improv and this isn't true of all of them um but um sometimes you see them distancing themselves from 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 the scene and and that kind of makes the audience feel distant i think as well you see the gears it's jarring yeah yeah yeah. um so yeah for me that's one the most important of the three rule number three 
always know your character's point of view. Um, and this uh, is something that we cover a lot in the FA syllabus. Um, so I can't take credit for that, obviously. Um, but I just think it's it, usually when you start getting into playing game and you start doing pattern, this, if there's something really not working about the scene or people just trying to or are struggling to find the game or they don't know what's going on in their scene I always ask them what their point of view was and usually if the scene hasn't been working they don't know what their point of view was they're just kind of like oh I think it's maybe it's this and I'm also a bit like this and it's like no it should be clear it should be you should know very clearly what your point of view is because um, I think point of view is it's the main kind of point of view is the building block that we use to approach a character I suppose mm. um, yeah and if you don't know yourself what your point of view is there's no way you're communicating that either to your scene partner or more importantly or maybe as importantly the audience as well right exactly they describe it in the FA as a prism through which your character sees the world yeah. um, so that's how your character will view the world and things that happen in the world and if you know that and you can nail that, then you should be able to play any scene. You should be able to put that character in any situation. And obviously, the more, you know, the, depending on what kind of scene you do, if you're doing a Harold, then you're probably not going to get to explore the different facets of, of a point of view. But if you're doing a long scene, you might have three or four facets to this point of mm. view that make up your wider <clears throat> point of view that a character has. And I think if you know that, then you've just kind of given yourself a gift and you've given yourself, again, the permission to know who you're playing and know who you are and it's just it just means you can make those decisions so much more easily without kind of fumbling around and going where do we go next how do i move this scene forward yeah you're not inventing anymore you're just being yeah through through the prism of this point of view yes and the other thing that i've heard which i think is really pertains really well to this point is mm -hmm. you're going to play like a thousand police officers in your time a oh, thousand yeah. doctors how are you going to make them interesting and, and distinct? Yeah. yeah, Everyone has a point of view. Everyone is an individual. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's not the doctor himself that's the character. It's the person who happens to be a doctor, but how do they see the world and how do they interact with in the environment that we're creating? Yeah, it just creates a much richer yeah. scene Yeah, where no one's playing stereotypes. Or at least if you're playing them, there's more to it than just the stereotype. Yeah, definitely. Which I think is, is brilliant. Rule number four. Make your partner look good. Yay! Yay! That's um, an amazing one. That's it. Uh, the cartridge has gone in. This one, I um, again, I've kind of come to see the value of even more since I started teaching and coaching. Because um, I teach uh, sort of beginners improv and, and I also teach kind of the next stage up and then I coach a few more experienced teams. But... Um, at the beginning, I think, you know, our philosophy in, in in all improv schools is usually get up there, don't be afraid to make mistakes, be silly, everything you say is right, mistakes are gold, just get in, have fun, be playful, be messy, all that wonderful kind of mm -hmm. joyful, you know, advice that you get given, um, which really encourages people to just come out of their shell and be confident. And then I think I start, I always start to notice uh, a little shift, which is when people start to think they're doing well, they start to be a little bit more picky about who they're coming into scenes with Absolutely. and about who they want to play with and who they play best with. <laughs> and it's a real, it, it, it's, you, you notice it and, it, and I find it really frustrating. So I always tend to say to those students, you should be able to do a scene with the person you least want to do a scene with and it should be as good as a, as a scene you do with the person you most want to do a scene with. Mm. And the way to do that is, I think, to make your partner look good rather than worrying about yourself looking good. Sometimes in my classes, I actually get people to just walk up to each other and say, 
I'm going to make you look good. Aww. And then they'll say, thanks, I'm going to make you look good. That's and lovely. it sounds silly. No, but, it sounds like the we energy should all be, in the room. Yeah, we should all be going on stage with that mentality, I think. And it's so easy to lose that because, the, you know, if, if you do sort of get better and better and you start to become a sort of proficient improviser, of course, you know, I've, I've done it. You want to play with like brilliant people. You want to play with really funny people who you admire. But at the same time, I always kind of stumble when I forget that it's not about me. Yeah. So, yeah, that's definitely a, an, an important one. And one that, you know, just this week, and I, and I feel with improv, you know, you go through, you can go through sort of six months of feeling like you're really kind of nailing it. And then suddenly just without any, oh yeah, any word of warning or any real event or anything, you'll just get in your head and you'll really sort of stumble back and go, well, now I'm sort of playing shows and I'm in my head and I'm, you know, just last week I was, I felt like I was confident I was killing it. And now what am I doing? I, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of not connecting as much and, and it's then I think that that's really important when you go, okay, it's not about me. I just have to go in with the same, you know, that play the way I've always played, but at the same time, you make sure that that other person feels supported and make sure that you are making them look look great. And you're trying to make each other laugh rather than trying to get all the laughs. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, ego is such an awful I know. thing. Like, I know. Like when you get back to that point where no one expects me to be good, least of all myself, mm-hmm. I can just go up there and play. And then suddenly like, okay. I've got this perceived standing now in yeah. the community and it's just, none of it's real. Yeah, I know. None of it's real. <laughs> it's so, and it's so kind of, yeah, transient and just, it's so also temporary that, mm. yeah. And why did we get into all of this? Essentially exactly. it was to make people, like yeah. m- make each other laugh, to have fun on stage. Exactly. We The, the Free Association does this um, show called Mumprov um, <laughs> where we have one of our, uh, the team's mums uh, in the first half we do scenes based off her suggestions but then uh, off her interviews but in the second half she comes on and she does scenes with us and mm. it's someone's mum who we've done it four or five times now they've definitely never been on stage before in their life um, and they're always such good shows because you have to remember it's all about looking after that person making them look good you know really supporting and and, and playing in, in, in a way that we should all be teaching each other we should all remember to, you know to play like that all the time Rule number five. Decide that you belong. Oh, that's excellent. Um, and this was a piece of feedback I got, um, uh, weird enough, from the course that uh, we did, uh, the level three course um, I got from Mike O.T. And he just said to me, decide that you belong on that stage. And then, because I, I, you know, I've always been a bit of a thinker and a bit of a worrier. And um, I, I used to come off stage a lot more than I do now and think, oh, I've done a bad job. I'm sorry about that scene. I'm sorry about doing that. But then as soon as you kind of let yourself believe and decide categorically that you belong on that stage and you belong in this show, playing with these people, doing this scene right now, I just think actually that's all you need to remember because then that all those kind of stupid worries go out the window. And yeah, that's what I would tell a lot of I a lot of students that I, I think are brilliant improvisers but or have the potential to be brilliant improvisers, but they are nervous and they're worried and they apologize and they're not bold and they're afraid to get messy. But as soon as you go, No, I belong on this stage and I belong here, then actually that just kind of becomes irrelevant because this is what you're supposed to be doing. So I just think that's a really nice thing to remember. It's so interesting how many amazing bits of advice like that is just about flicking a switch in your own brain. Yeah. Uh, so what you're saying there, just decide you belong, that doesn't require anyone else yeah. to make a decision other than yourself yeah. to do that. Um, 
Another one of those that uh, my friend Katie told me the other day was, if you're nervous before a show, just tell yourself you're excited. You'll find that the yeah. difference between those two feelings are so small. Mm-hmm. That if you just say, no, I'm not, I'm excited by this, then you will become that. Yeah. And I find the power of just the way we think and the way we frame our own experiences mm-hmm. uh, is such a powerful tool for an improviser. Mm-hmm. So I just love that idea of like, yeah, this is this is where I'm meant to be. Yeah, particularly with... with um female improvisers when they start out I've noticed the ones I teach hang back a lot more Um, and it's nothing to do with talent at all you know that gender wise it's an even split in terms of talent but lots of my notes my feedback to my female students is get out there be bold just you know have fun like just be confident just throw yourself into it jump in be joyful and be assertive and those are all things I, I think are so important in improv but I think they can all be solved by just saying I belong here um, and I think that's, yeah, a mentality that's, that's like you said, just quite easy to switch on if you just decide that you're that that's how you're going to feel. I think that's quite empowering and I really like it. Well, that's an amazing note to end on. Yay. I'm glad that we're giving the robot uh, a place to belong. Yes, me too. Um, let me turn it back over. Um, and so now comes the moment where you get to name it. I get to name the robot? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a big responsibility. I'm going to call it <laughs> Spice Robot. Ooh. Yeah, um, because that just sends a message of empowerment. Mm. Um, Especially to anyone who was growing up in the 90s. In the 90s, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And who also likes spicy food uh, because that's pretty empowering to be able to handle all that spice. So, yeah, that's my name for it. Spice Robot. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, as its creator... Uh, you get to push the big red button and boot it up. Okay, I'm pushing the big red button now. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want, to download these rules. Oh, okay, powering up, that's good. Okay. One, listen primarily to understand and then to respond. Two, choose to know, choose to care. Choose to say. Three. Always know your character's point of view. Four. Make your partner look good. Five. Decide that you belong. I will listen to understand. My name is Spice Robot. Spicy means hot. Um, fingers crossed. Getting a little... Is it it glowing red hot now? Adjusting exterior temperature accordingly. Let me let me just touch it. Mm, Okay. Mm, That is something wrong there. It's melting through the floor. No. I must leave you now. Goodbye, my friends. Look for the rainbow in every storm. Know that I belong to you. Spice Robot! It's got a long way down. No! Doesn't look like we're going to be doing any scenes today. Oh no, I was so excited. Yeah, I know. Spice Robot is on its way to the middle of the earth now. (gasps) Um, We'll get it back. And I am so sorry. Please do try and send out a search party and put it back together. Because it would be nice to see that that improviser. Every, I mean, so much this happens and I have these brilliant people. I promised you, you know, a miracle of modern yeah. technology. And here we are sitting in a room with a hole in the floor. Nothing to, 
to say for it. Well, no. we've had a nice time. We have, yeah. yeah. And I hope that your hints and rules will help uh, some people listening at home. So it's not a, a complete loss. I hope not. Um, I would love it if you would let uh, those listeners that we just mm -hmm. talked about uh, know where they could find you and your work, come and see your shows, come and take your classes, uh, where would they point their browsers? Uh, they would type into Google or any other search engine of your choice, uh, www.thefreeassociation.co.uk. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at Naomi Peterson, uh, spelt S-E-N because I'm Scandinavian. Um, and uh, yeah, the FA website, uh, also follow them on Twitter and on Facebook and Instagram and all, all the social medias. Uh, there's information on classes. We do uh, shows every Thursday. We have Harold Night every Thursday, uh, which uh, will usually involve my Harold team, Sweet Fanny Adams, which is the uh, one of the House Harold teams. And uh, we also do a whole host of other shows, Teacher Jams, which are free. We have class shows. We do Jacuzzis, which are our signature Saturday night headline show where we get a special guest from comedy and beyond to uh, come and tell stories. And then we do scenes and sketches off those. So... Yeah, you can kind of find any information you need uh, about the FA on, on that site. And yeah, and classes as well. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, I absolutely loved my classes at the FA. So I do encourage people to have a look at that. Never stop training. Never, Never stop. stop. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And for those of you at home, as always, I shall be putting up a thread on our Facebook page um, so that you can uh, respond to this episode. What do you agree with? Uh, maybe you can politely disagree or mm, uh, as well. Uh, we really love to hear what you think about the rules this week. Um, all the contact details for the show are coming up in a moment. Uh, but until then, it just remains for me to say... Uh, goodbye and um, see you soon. Thanks so much, Naomi. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to YesBot. You can talk to me on Twitter at YesBot5000. Hey, why not join our listeners group at facebook.com slash group slash YesBotClub. You can also email me on yesbot5000 at icloud.com. Your host was Chris Mead. Find him at Mr. Chris Mead on Twitter. The Yesbot theme was composed and engineered by Fred Deakin. Yesbot logo and graphics by Kind Studio. Okay, I love you. Goodbye.